Today we conclude our series on the small dick ki- I mean the Golden State Killer. The East Area Rapists continued terrorizing women in California throughout the 1970s. But as the decade came to a close, the rapist became a murderer. From 1979 to 1986, the Golden State Killer murdered at least 13 people. Today, we'll tell that story and also take a look at how investigations narrowed their search for this man. We'll also discuss the life of Joseph D'Angelo Jr., his court proceedings, and his upcoming sentencing. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you believe in small dick energy, stick around. This vile piece of shit radiates it. This is Necronomapod. We found the needle in the haystack, and it was right here in Sacramento. Police say this man, 72-year-old Joseph James D'Angelo, is the elusive Golden State Killer, the former police officer allegedly responsible for at least 12 murders, upwards of 50 rapes, and more than 100 burglaries in California from 1976 to 1986. D'Angelo's name never coming up in prior investigations, but just six days ago, a critical clue. We started some surveillance. We were able to get some discarded DNA, and we were able to confirm what we thought we already knew, that we had our man. So I got a question for you guys. What is or are some of the first major news stories you remember from your childhood? So I'll give you a few for mine. Hmm. And maybe, Ian, you might have some of the same Um you know, Dave yours will obviously be like World War One, World War Two, and you know, <laughs> the soldiers coming <laughs> Um Some of the earliest news stories I remember, I'll give you three. Uh, the O.J. Simpson Barranco chase. Uh, what year did that happen? I know we covered it. 94. Okay. So I was like eight years old. The So Ian, when, when did the initial uh, Michael Jackson allegations come out? 1993. Okay. So I was seven there. Mm. And then... I vividly remember being at the grocery store, like with my mom, and looking and seeing the tabloids, and it was John Bonet's face all over everything. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. So John Bonet, Michael Jackson, and the OJ chase. I think were like the first three major news stories I remember as a kid. What about you guys? What do you got? Um, I have OJ. OJ, like the whole trial, Princess, all all of it, just the whole the ball. Bronco chase specifically. Yeah, Princess Diana dying. That's a good one. What was that? That was ninety seven though, right? Yeah, that was a so little was, later yeah, on. Yeah, that was about that 11. Out. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good one. Well, not a good one. That's terribly sad, but. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, the John Bonet, you know, seeing her everywhere. Right. Dave, what do you, do you remember any like news stories from, or like even just I'm once? I'm trying to remember the earliest one. Like, I remember the morning when John Lennon got killed in 1980. Yeah. December 8th. December 8th, 8th 1980. Remember that? Was it just like breaking everywhere? Like, what do you remember of it? Just, just like turning on the radio. Yeah. Hearing it. I remember when Reagan got shot coming home from school and watching that on the news in 1981. 81? 81. Was it 81? I think so. I, it was early. Not too it long was, after inauguration. Yeah. I'm trying to think earlier than that. I can't. And those are still good ones. They have memories of Gerald Ford being president on TV. I don't know if they're real or not. So yeah, something sometimes like you just see the clips and sure. then you put that in your mind. Yeah. But even then, those aren't necessarily news stories. Like that's no. just him being president. Yeah. So I think that makes sense. Two, two guys getting shot. Oh, I know. The I I ran Contra in '79. Oh, okay. That was before even that. So. Right. That was the first one that I you kind of remember seeing. Yeah. Did you go to the John Lennon exhibit at the Rock Hall when they had like his his thing there? I don't think so. They had the glasses that he was wearing when he got mm. killed. 
they would have saw the blood stains on them, and Terrible. then they had like a like a brown bag that looked like like a police investigations bag, and inside were apparently the clothes he wore mm. when he was no, I, don't, I didn't go to that. I think I was only been in the Rock Hall like three times. That was one of the exhibits I saw. One of them was for the beardology thing. One of we them were was there last, year. last fall. Yeah, we were there for that. That was one, of, but we didn't even get the really. Well, we I guess we did. We looked around. We got to see a, a decent sample amount. some good food. Sam, yeah. yeah, it was a good time. And then the first time I was there was a Jimi Hendrix exhibit. That That's was cool. awesome. That was sweet. Okay. Well, that's all I had. Just wanted to know what That's you guys remembered from your lifetime. Because, <laughs> I mean, some people are going to remember the Golden State Killer in their lifetime. That's some big news. This guy's going to be sentenced here in about a yeah. month. Fuck. Do you guys remember the first time Shawn Michaels wore, like, your favorite tights? Of course. It's well covered. Sure you guys remember it's that. It's well covered in last week's Bruiser Brosy <laughs> bonus episode available at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. <laughs> For only five bucks a month, you can hear Ian and I debate Shawn Michaels' best tights. <laughs> and finish. They're like, uh, uh, uh. Well, well, we didn't talk about it long enough. I got blue balls from it. Shawn Michaels' tights. <laughs> we had people message us saying they wish they could have participated in that conversation. Yeah, I bet they did. Just saying. No one messaged us saying they wish they could participate in JonBenet Ramsey conversation or fucking Waco or Scientology. No. They want to sit with us and they want to discuss Shawn Michaels' trunks <laughs> at his various pay-per-view events. <laughs> you know how cool that is for someone like Ian and I sure. who just nerded out over oh. those things for years and oh, years? Oh, I know. <laughs> All right. Well, we had fun. Fun's over. Let's get back to this terrible story. Ian, where are we at in this one? Where we left off on part one, the man who was quickly nicknamed the East Area Rapist had raped 10 women in 1976, and police were no closer to identifying who was responsible. The same MO had been used in every rape, the same angry whisper through clenched teeth, and the same physical description, specifically the abnormally small penis. <laughs> From January 18, 1977 to May 28, 1977, the East Area Rapist would strike 12 times with a drastic escalation in crimes committed. Like we said, he raped 10 people in 1976, and in the first five months of 1977, he was already at 12. He's ramping it up. Damn. One thing the police quickly found out during this stretch of 12 rapes was that the East Area Rapist was paying close attention to the media. He was taking criticism from news reports and then acting on them. In one specific broadcast, the MO was laid out, detailing how the East Area Rapist wasn't attacking homes that had large dogs or a man present. So he's like, I'll show you. Look here, see? I'll bring a, <laughs> I'll bring a dog with me to the next rape, see? <laughs> Well, yeah, and there's even one, you know, we're going to detail here the first time he, he struck with a, a man present, but there's even stuff later on where, you know, when they, they bring up the, the fact that he doesn't go to houses that have large dogs, he grabs someone's dog and locked it in their trunk of their car. Mm. So it is really a, you know, I'll show you. Yeah. Right. You know. And then it makes it more difficult for investigators to do their job when they're, you know, the news is given out. Like, here's what we know. Mm -hmm. And then this guy's like, oh, okay, here's what you know. Well, I'm going to fucking throw you off. Like, didn't that happen? Was that the screen door intruder uh, where, like, they they noticed, like, the kind of shoes he was wearing? Yeah, Diane Feinstein Richard was Ramirez. the mayor. She yeah. press conference. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, well, I'm going to fucking change my shoes. Yeah. How's that? Yeah, he the same day that she announced that he threw the, his shoes right off the fucking oh, bridge. Of I was like, yep, not wearing those. <laughs> Damn, Pally. 
Are you going to call him the East Area Rapist throughout the story? Are you going to go with the ear uh, acronym? Call him the ear. I don't like the ear thing. Okay. Ears I was are just on. curious. I don't like the Eron's thing. I don't like any right. of that. It sounds weird to me. It's going to be fun to hear uh, Ian it, say this 119 times throughout the show without getting <laughs> sick of it. He's going to get real tired of saying well, that. And the reason I asked is I thought he was going to be saying the ear, the ear attack, and I wrote then later in the story where, you know, what's the worst ear attack is when Britney Spears comes on your radio. <laughs> but you so he's not going to say ear. I'm just going to throw held, it out there right she's now. She's being held prisoner in her own body. You better stop right now. <laughs> you got to say Britney. Hashtag free Britney. No, I don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading, this is a side note on Britney Spears. I was on one of my various uh, conspiracy websites, paranormal websites that I read. And there was a whole thread about how Britney Spears is actually a MK Ultra victim <laughs> based on all her uh, recent Instagram <laughs> things. There was like some whole conspiracy about it. That I believe. I didn't really get into a lot of that conspiracy stuff until recently. And I think a lot of it's true. Like her dad is pumping her full of drugs. It's got complete control over everything she does. I I think. I don't know. I, I think she's getting doped up, and that's why she's acting very odd. And who knows? You know, I don't know what kind of mental health condition she's in and what kind of psychiatric treatment she's received. But I don't know. It's weird. There's yeah. something odd going on. That might be a future episode. Yeah. Well, and it paralyzed her vocal cords too. Apparently, it did. That's why you know she was from a beautiful songbird to <laughs> what she is now. You know, all those drugs take a toll. Sure do. Any hoodles? Where were we? So on, so on <laughs> April second, nineteen seventy-seven, victim number sixteen was is the mother of two children, a boy and a girl, who at the time were around seven and eight years old. Victim number sixteen was laying in bed with her boyfriend. They had returned home late from a drive-in movie and put the kids to bed around one thirty a.m. She was woken up sometime later by a flashlight shining in her face. Opening her eyes, she saw a man with a white mask with two eye holes staring at her. And through clenched teeth, he said, quote, don't make a sound. Do you see this gun? Was he pointing at his wiener? No, because she wouldn't be able to see <laughs> it. <laughs> She's like, no, I don't, see it. I don't see anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> she then pushed her boyfriend and told him someone was in the room. Her boyfriend woke up and the man shined the flashlight in his eyes and said, quote, Stop, don't move, lay on your stomachs. I have a 45 with 14 shots and two clips. I want your money. Exactly where is your wallet? If you don't tell me the truth, I'll kill you. Don't make any sudden moves. Lay still or I'll kill you like I did those people in Bakersfield. Wow, he's getting a little more chatty here. Straight to the point. Still going back to that I want your money though and that's mm -hmm. all I want. The boyfriend told the man that his wallet was in his pants on the floor. The man told the boyfriend again to get on his stomach and he would be out of there in a couple minutes. The man then laid out two white shoelaces and told the victim to tie up her boyfriend. Her boyfriend told her to just do what the man was saying to do. The man then walked to the boyfriend's pants and picked them up and placed the barrel of the gun against his head saying, quote, don't look up. If you see me, I'll have to kill you both. Mm. I'm not sure I could sit there without taking action. We've talked about that. And in let her tie episodes. me up, especially with the kids in the house. I think I'm going down uh, and swinging. Uh, yeah, no, I would 100% get everybody killed. Would you, if you're the wife though, or the the female, maybe you just you tie him up, but very loosely. Like, yeah. is this guy inspecting? Maybe. I mean, if he if he cared that much, he'd tie him up himself. 
Maybe you do it very loosely, knowing that your husband could get out if he needed to. I think he comes back later and tightens it. But at the time, though, even. Yeah. Anyways, we're just nitpicking here on something that a situation we've never been in would not actually know. Oh, yeah. She and her boyfriend heard the man go through the pants, then tied her boyfriend tighter. He then tied the victim's hands and took her from the room. Then at knife point, he led her to the living room where he tied her ankles and blindfolded her with a towel. He placed a cup and saucer on her back and told her not to move or he'll hear and have to kill her. He then went to the master bedroom and placed a cup and saucer on her boyfriend's back and warned him that if he moved, he would hear it and come kill him as well. The man went into the garage and came back removing the cup and saucer and sat on the victim's hands, which were tied behind her back. She then realized that he had no pants on. He rolled her over and untied her ankles and took off her underwear. He asked that if she and her boyfriend had had sex that night, and if she lied, he would find out and kill her. She told him no, and he proceeded to rape her. After he finished, he left the room and went to the kitchen, eating food loud enough to make it a point that that was what he was doing. What? Why is that? Like This is like the third or fourth time we've heard about this and throughout this story of him uh, doing these kind of break-ins and rapings. What's the point of him going to eat and like making it known? Like the last week we talked about him like cooking a meal and making it known he was cooking something. Just so they wouldn't think he was gone and try to escape. You think that's what it was? Like that's it? I think so. And just like the like the laissez-faire like attitude, like I want to make a meal and relax and hang mm-hmm. out. Meanwhile, I'm I'm committing these heinous crimes, but nothing's going to happen to me. I mean, how much time elapsed here? I mean, for those victims, it must have felt like forever. Yeah, time like, It's just still. weird. It's so weird. Yeah. Like the one we talked about last week, he drank like what two beers that mm-hmm. we they said he brought himself. Brought his own beer. Oh, it's more torture. After a while, he returned and raped her again. He went through the house again for a while, then came back. He pulled her up to him while he sat on a chair and raped her for a third time. He pushed her off onto the floor and retied her ankles. It was silent for a while, and her boyfriend was able to get up and untie her. During the time the man left the victim, he had checked on her boyfriend up to five times. The investigation uncovered the man left used chewing gum and had used two spoons. Tests showed that the man had type A blood, which from part one, they found that Band-Aid at one of the victim's houses That's that right. had type A blood. Do you know your blood type? I don't. Uh, no. I, I've been told mine multiple times and I always forget. <laughs> I, I want to say I'm something relatively rare, but not hmm. like, is AB negative rare? <laughs> I have no I idea. fucking clue. <laughs> I can't get blood though. I have some kind of thing where I can't. We'll leave it at that. It's not AIDS. <laughs> I have a, I'm prone to clotting, hmm. so I can't get blood. The end. All right. You don't have to. We won't make <laughs> Sorry you. Sorry for that sad story. <laughs> well, but you, I mean, if you're given blood, they us- you usually know what kind of blood type you are. Or you hear it or, you know, yeah. or they know if it's in demand. And I just never paid attention because I can't do it because of that. So I might get a blood clot. I might not. Who knows? It's in God's hands, Dave. <laughs> sure it is. Everything's <laughs> in God's hands. So He's been busy lately, apparently. I live and let God. I just drank myself into a coma. That's about it. The house was cold, and sheriff's deputies discovered that the heater had been unplugged rather than just turned off. The man also cut the cord to the TV. Investigation of the neighborhood uncovered incidents of prowling. A neighbor had been robbed two months before. The thief had come in through a second-story window. 
three months prior, another neighbor saw a man in his neighbor's backyard. He was concerned because his neighbor uh, was a single woman. He described the man as a male, five foot nine, five foot ten, between twenty-five and thirty years old. He chased him over several yards, and another neighbor received strange phone calls where the caller just breathed heavily before hanging up. Do people prowl anymore? You don't hear that term anymore. Prowler. I don't think you can in this day and age. Like the Everyone has the ring doorbell. Yeah, and... like like think about that. You show up to someone's doorbell, they can already see you. Yeah. How the fuck are you going to prowl? Yeah, prying open windows in the back and going in and stealing 20 bucks. Like all windows now are locked, right? From the inside. Yeah. Like you just can't open them. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I, I speak those like I know. <laughs> like, God, Dave, they've ruined my, my uh, well, profession. I mean, the old window is a lot easier to Jimmy to break in. It's, right. I think it's at least a little bit harder these days. Yeah. Well, I just thinking, yeah. How do you prowl nowadays? With, yeah, with, I don't know. with cameras outside and with smartphones, you just, you can't. Hey, and that's good. No prowling. Back when I was a boy, we prowled all the time. Right. It was simple. <laughs> Good luck with that nowadays. <laughs> Gonna get busted. I lament the fact that I can't do any more prowling. <laughs> Did you ever see The Prowler? Great uh, underrated 80s horror movie, The Prowler. Oh, that sounds all right, though. Fucking great yeah. movie. Was that? Did we cover that on a bonus show? Where did I see the story of the guy who was a cop who was in an open house? And smelled the the girl's panties. Yeah, yeah. And then realized he was on camera yeah, and right. was like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah. Was that? Did we do that on a bonus show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like stuff like that. Like, spoiler alert: he was a cop, so nothing happened to him. But. Well, <laughs> Patreon.com/slash Um We don't. Do we know that? Did nothing happen? We don't know that. Yeah, he got off of probation or something. Um, oh, I know that. Sure. <laughs> so they. Uh, but yeah, so stuff like that. Like you think you're in like just a random room. Mm-hmm. You're being filmed. Yeah. Which I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Just saying for all you petter asses out there. Maybe don't sniff uh, kids' panties yeah. when you're at an open house. You don't don't fuck. do we just weird shit. Sniff my panties if you want. Come sniff my panties. Don't sniff <laughs> the kids' panties. You want okay. you want to sniff my boxers? Come sniff my boxers. <laughs> just saying. I'd rather me than the kids. It's good of you to put yourself out there like that. I'll donate my panties to petterasses.com. <laughs> if you have a thing for underwear, avoid the kids. I'll send you my my undies. You're a real humanitarian. I do my part. Shipping included. They got to pay extra for shipping. <laughs> you got to pay extra for shipping, and then you got to pay extra for you like freshly worn or like clean. <laughs> like if I've been wearing them all day, that's going to cost more, and you get my stank on them. Well, and if you wore them when you recorded a podcast, that's probably like ten times. Yeah, as much, also because right? you get a little pee dribble because I hold it so long while we're recording, <laughs> so I fucking <laughs> dribble a little bit in my my undergarments. I got to get to the bathroom. And fucking Ian doesn't let me out to piss. Other. You know, once every five pages. Right. Don't blue light these folks when you get them. Don't blue light them. Why not like what you see? <laughs> oh, you most certainly won't. There'll be all three: urine, piss, and or urine, blood, and cum, all in in my undies. Don't worry about where it came from. It's none of your goddamn business. Just enjoy them and don't fucking touch kids. Good advice. Jesus from Mike. Christ, Ian, start talking, please. Get us back. <laughs> The pace of the East Area Rapist attacks in the first five months of 1977 was really alarming for investigators. On top of the fast-paced, he had now threatened to kill. The news reports on May 18, 1977 stated, quote, A sheriff's spokesman told a press conference that although the rapist has caused no serious physical injuries, they fear he may harm someone soon. The rapist told his victims to tell the pigs he would kill two people if the rape received bad press coverage. However, he told her husband 
He would kill if there was no coverage. Anybody who enters a home where people are sleeping with a gun or a knife is a potential killer, the spokesman stated. I think it's a fair statement. What does good rape press coverage sound like? Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is it possible like, to get good press coverage from a rape? Like I'm, le- I'm legitimately trying to think of like what they could yeah, say like that is, he would be like, oh, yeah, they're putting me in the spotlight I want. He was the nicest rapist in town. I, I mean, the guy was polite. He took right. his shoes off before. Like, uh, yeah, like left a mint hear? on the pillow. Yeah. Fucking clown. Yeah. <laughs> or just, it's talking just, about, it's asshole? just his conceited like attitude. Like, yeah. you know, I'm a good person. I don't mean to do this. You're fucking ruining lives here. A profile at the time labeled the East Area Rapist as a paranoid schizophrenic and declared that he was also in a, quote, homosexual panic. Reported by the Sacramento Bee, this meant, quote, the phrase homosexual panic is used by psychiatrists to describe not an overt homosexual, but someone with the unconscious fear of being homosexual. He panics when the fear comes close to consciousness, they say. The cause... According to Shrinkers, it was because of hysteria rapists under endowment. Several victims have told investigators that the rapist has a very small sexual organ. Dun, 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 dun. That's really interesting. Does it mean your little wiener starts to cause you panic and makes you think you're gay, so you have to assert your manliness or something like that? That's what Is I'm that thinking. how you're reading that? Like he has a small penis, so he thinks he's. Yeah, so he thinks he might be gay or has fear of becoming gay. Yeah, that's how I read that. Because he doesn't think he's, you know, quote, a man. Mm. And so he has to go rape women to prove to himself that he's a man. It's interesting. Yeah, tiny dangle, dude. Just accept it. Join the club. I'm the president. <laughs> <laughs> he just sounds like some of it just sounds like he has like little dick syndrome, like uh, like guys that get those big trucks and shit. And- dude, <laughs> I think Dave touched on the intro. It's small dick energy. That's exactly what yeah. that is. When you got that small dick and you got to get those big ass trucks and customize it. And, or it's, I think it's also known as little man syndrome. It, let's call it what it is. It's small dick energy. <laughs> Fucking yeah. Napoleon is the epitome of that. Where I grew up down by, uh, down by Pittsburgh, all those guys. Well, I think it's a fact. If you're from Pittsburgh, you have small penis, right? I think that's a proven fact, right? <laughs> like, I think, I think that's scientifically been proven, right? <laughs> Yeah, I'm talking about you, Jerome Bettis. Come at me, boss. <laughs> Jerome Bettis. I don't even think he's from there, but still. <laughs> Fuck him. I don't think he is. I'm pretty sure he's not. Where is he from, actually? That's a good question. You're the Pittsburgh know. fan, Ian. Where is he from? How the fuck would I know? Where I know. Some, some fucking from. college football fanatic is cussing us out right now because <laughs> we don't know where Jerome Bettis is from. <laughs> Whatever. Fucking Pittsburgh. Small dick energy. Jeez. Two people had not died like he had promised, victim 21. But investigators thought the East Area Rapist threat could still happen to the next victims. Gun dealers were amazed at how many guns they were selling. Since January, 2,600 guns had been sold, which was double the, the usual number. But now in May, they were in a mass demand and the dealers were running out. Locksmiths were working long hours installing more locks on homes for those homeowners that couldn't get a gun. A total panic. Yeah, and I also saw like um, animal shelters and stuff. Like they all they had left were small dogs. Like everybody was wow, yeah. adopting big dogs, and yep, that's wild. One woman told the bee how she laid awake at night for the last two weeks just watching 
for the East Area Rapist. In order to do this, she said she took two nap hour naps in the afternoon to help her stay awake through most of the night. Um, imagine that fear. I don't think I'd be able to sleep either. No, I don't blame her. But like, imagine living that way. You're up all night yeah. waiting for someone to break into your home and and how, try to rape you. Yeah, like how stressful is that? How long can you go on like that? At that point, well, I think at that point you almost got to try to move, right? Yeah, possibly. I mean, I would start looking. I'd, I'd take a long commute to work mm -hmm. over living in fear. That I mean, I wouldn't function well on two hours of sleep in no. the afternoon every day. No. We're not all Ian who just, you know, lives like a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> but goddamn, like that's that's stressful. Very. On May 19th, 1977, the beat up the reward and now posted a $15,000 reward for information leading to the capture and conviction of the East Area Rapist. On that same day, an ad was placed in the newspapers advertising for homeowners who had citizen band radios. The ad said, quote, see beers to hunt East Area Rapist. The news then reported, quote, 300 persons with citizens band radios say they will start prowling the streets tonight looking for the East Area Rapist. Both the police and sheriff's departments wish they'd stay home. <laughs> A new group, the East Area Rapist Surveillance Patrols, announced Thursday its intention to help. Law enforcement regulars feel they will only be in the way. So the East Area Rapist Surveillance Patrols, acronym EARS. Yeah. <laughs> you got your ears on, buddy? Come on back. <laughs> CBs are fun, though. I like CBs. I think CBs are fun. I think a band of people getting together like this might be a little risky. You know what reminds me of in Halloween 4? Yeah. When they kill all the cops and then Earl from the bar gets the posse together and they go out and and their trucks and they go to and they, they see him like a school <laughs> and then they follow him and yeah and they shoot him and it's like we just killed Earl <laughs> it's, it's not Michael Myers yes. that is exactly right <laughs> Halloween 4 incidentally in my opinion the best of the entire Halloween franchise that's a good one and I that is one franchise of movies I watched over and over and over again still I think own mm -hmm. them all on DVD and you, Dave, were someone who stood by the fact that Halloween 3 was good. And then we recently rewatched <laughs> that's, it. That's, that's true. It is not, it's not good. It is so bad. That might have been 10-year-old Dave telling you that that was good. <laughs> it was bad. Good. I hadn't watched it in a long time. Halloween 4, in my opinion, is the best of the franchise. That's a good one. But, I mean, I'm not going to fight anyone who says any, any other one's better because the whole series is fantastic, I think. Two's my favorite. It's really good. CBs are fun. I've driven across country a couple of times with the CB and talked to all the truckers. They probably don't love that, Dave. No, they probably don't. No. Well, Breaker 1-9 for radio check. Come on back. Like That's good on the CB. They like this fucking guy. <laughs> I, uh, years ago, my buddy was a truck driver, and I went with him on a, on a run to Texas to move. Uh, he was like a furniture mover. Yeah. Which is horrific. It was like 120 degrees in Texas. Doesn't sound like something I'd... You know, 12 hours a day moving furniture. Huh. It's hell on earth. That's terrible. But anyway, you go party at the truck stops at night. You know, the lot lizards walking around. Like we let a hooker sit in a truck and, you know, use our CB to look for clients and stuff. It was fun. Anybody want some commercial <laughs> company out there? That does not sound like something I would ever enjoy doing. You just had a fucking party at a truck stop. Yeah, with the other truck drivers. So it's 97 like horny truck drivers, yeah. a few street walkers. They're called lot lizards, Mike. I'm so sorry. Lot lizards. <laughs> and then fucking you go eat like, you know, gas station hot dogs. 
Yeah. That'd be the most exciting part of the we'll night for me. Sh- would be in the hot take dog. a shower in the gas station. Too. <laughs> of course, you clean up for that one time of the week. Oh, it's awful. It was, just, it was fun having a hooker sit in a cab of the truck. You know what? It makes for a good story. <laughs> I'm glad you did it, Dave, and not us. We're going to tell go. that little story right here. There you go. Lot lizards. Lot lizards. God damn. That's all I got to say on so that. So with this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so with all this, this CB stuff going on, the sheriffs feared that there was going to be a lynching. While they wouldn't say this publicly, spokesman Bill Miller said that CBers would be a hindrance to law enforcement, saying, quote, 90% of these people would probably be all right, but you might get some people carrying guns and an innocent person might get hurt. It's like in Halloween 4. That's right. It's very dangerous. <laughs> Each night in Sacramento County, there were vigilantes just patrolling the streets looking for a young man who matched the sketches. Like every third person on the street probably matched the guy's sketch, you know? Right. Yeah, just a young, like young white guy without any, you know, distinguishing features. It looks like everybody. The bee had had the reward for fifteen thousand, but it was upped by a dentist, James Gilmartin, in the Sky Parkway area in south in the southern Sacramento area. The reward now stood at thirty thousand dollars, and because of this, more vigilantes took to the streets. So that dentist really uh, sank his teeth into this case, huh? <laughs> He really wanted to extract the uh, identity of the killers, probably. <laughs> Filling in all the details. Goddamn, man. He's cracking himself up at this point. He's doing this for so his... stupid. <laughs> Sorry. In a predicted location of another East Area rapist attack in Rancho Cordova, sheriffs had rented a house. A man and woman sheriff team posed as renters and waited inside and each night they waited armed waiting for someone to break in shit he probably pegged them right away yep it reminds me of like because, uh, in the waco documentary where fucking or like the netflix one where david mm-hmm. koresh knows exactly when it's like the fbi right yeah. or with the atf atf so yeah we're 35 year old college kids who go to yeah. college uh two hours from here yeah. we're staying out and, here and, and the- we're you know just working with cattle and then i think he asked them like one question about cattle and they can't fucking yeah. answer because of all this publicity and panic the east area rapist would move locations to attack hours away knowing full well that police departments didn't talk to each other back in those days there would be a four-month break in the attacks with him attacking next in Stockton, California. Victim 23, September 6th, 1977. Victim 24, October 1st, 1977. Victim 25, October 21st, 1977. Victim 26, October 29th, 1977. Victim 27, November 10th, 1977. Victim 28, December 2nd, 1977. That's not a long time frame there. Throughout 1977, the East Area Rapist made a few phone calls taunting police and harassing past victims. On January 2nd, 1978, he made the most threatening phone call to be recorded to the first victim he attacked at the beginning of this spree.
Yikes. Sounds like a little kid. Doesn't it? That's pretty creepy, though. It's creepy. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, it's, it's really fucking creepy. I mean, he sounds like a guy who has a small dick. <laughs> but still, that's <laughs> a fucking you. terrifying to get that call. Mm. But I mean, there's there were some people that were e- that even got calls into like 1982. One of the um, one of the husbands or boyfriends of one of the attacks, he said he got calls for like years nonstop from this guy. Wow, isn't that crazy? Did, yeah, I mean, he really got off on the, the phone call thing, calling past victims. Mm. Victim 29 and 30 were both attacked on January 28th, 1978. A newlywed Sacramento couple, Brian Maggiore, a military policeman at Mather Air Force Base, and Katie Maggiore were walking their dog in the Rancho Cordova area on the night of February 2nd, 1978, near where five East Area rapist attacks had occurred. The Maggiores fled after a confrontation in the street, but were chased down and shot dead. Some investigators suspected that they had been murdered by the East Area Rapists because of their proximity to the other attack locations, and a shoelace was found nearby. Mm. What are you planning to do to them out on the street like that? The the theory and what um, he later pled guilty to was that they were walking their dog, and they saw him and saw his face. Mm. So he had to... That makes yeah. sense. Like he was mind. trying to do something in the neighborhood and okay. saw his face. Yeah. Right. Through March 18th, 1978 and July 5th, 1979, the East Area Rapist raped 20 more victims, bringing the total number of rapes since the beginning in 1976 to 50 victims. He had struck multiple places in California, including Sacramento, Rancho Cordova, Citrus Heights, Carmichael, Arden Arcade, Orangevale, Parkway, Stockton, La Riviera, Foothills, Modesto, Davis, Concord, San Ramon, San Jose, Danville, Fremont, and Walnut Creek. Guys everywhere. Yep. 50 victims. It's really unbelievable. Mm. I mean, you you tack in the uh, Visalia. We said it wrong. Isn't that the way to say it? Yeah, we got corrected. Visalia. Vi sale, yeah. Like we we got our Midwest uh, hick accents. We don't talk what did like we that. say? Probably Vesalia. Yeah, Vesalia. Oh, we We're Vi- from Ohio. That's how we talk, man. Sorry. Vi sale, yeah. All right. You throw in the you throw in the Visalia ransacking crimes. So he broke into 120 houses doing that, and now he's raped 50 victims. Man, all within a span of. You know, not that long, really, to commit all those crimes. A couple years. Mm. How do you find the time? We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time 
always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting BetterHelp.com Necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, BetterHelp.com slash Necro. Shortly after the rape committed on July 5th, 1979, the East Area Rapist moved on to Southern California and began killing his victims, first striking in Santa Barbara County in October. The attacks lasted until 1981 with a lone 1986 murder. Only the couple in the first attack survived, alerting neighbors and forcing the East Area Rapist to flee. The other victims were murdered by gunshot or bludgeoning, earning the East Area Rapist the new nickname the original Night Stalker. Was this nickname given later? Because, I mean, Richard Ramirez wasn't even around at that time. What's the timing right, on that? Yeah. Later? Okay. Uh, no, I, I don't think it was later. Oh. I think it was just it was right while this was going on. Why would they call him the original? original? I thought original right. indicating was like saying he was before Richard Ramirez. But at that time, they didn't know Richard Ramirez. doesn't make sense. I'm baffled yeah. here. <laughs> that's that is, it's, it's that's a nickname. challenging... Hmm. predicament we're in here why the fuck they calling him that i don't know on october 1st an intruder broke in and tied up an unnamed galetta couple alarmed by hearing him say quote i'll kill him to himself the man and woman tried to escape when he left the room and the woman screamed realizing that the alarm had been raised the intruder fled on a bicycle a neighbor who was an fbi agent responded to the noise and pursued the intruder who abandoned the bike and a knife and fled on foot through local backyards. The attack would later be linked to the Offerman Manning murders by shoe prints and twine used to bind the victims. He's leaving evidence all over the place. You get cocky, man. On December 30th, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Alexandra Manning were found shot dead at Offerman's condominium in Galetta. Offerman's bindings were untied, indicating he had lunged at the attacker. Neighbors had heard gunshots, and paw prints of a large dog were found at the scene, leading to the speculation that the killer may have brought one with him. The killer also broke into the vacant adjoining residence and stole a bicycle, later found abandoned on a street north of the scene, from a third residence in the complex. So when you're going through these dates, Ian, we're talking about still 1979, correct? 
That's Correct. where the murders started. Because I know you said that it, the the murders kind of go until 79 through 81. And then there's a lone murder believed to be his in 86. So I just wanted to set the timetable because I, I just wanted to make right. sure everyone was with us. So when you said this uh, December 30th, we're still talking 1979. On March 13th, this would be 1980, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered in their Ventura home. Charlene Smith had been raped, and a log from a woodpile on the side of the house was used to bludgeon both victims to death. Their wrists and ankles had been bound with a drapery cord, with an unusual Chinese knot called a diamond knot was used on Charlene's wrist, and the same knot was noted in the Sacramento East Area rapist attacks, with at least one confirmed case which was publicly known. The murderer was therefore briefly given the nickname the Diamond Knot Killer. This guy's got more fucking nicknames than me. Well, like come <laughs> almost. On. Come on. Diamond Knot Killer reminds me of your uh, one of your other nicknames, the Balloon Knot Killer. You <laughs> like to go in dry, right? I'd slay. Slay the balloon knots. <laughs> balloon Knot Slayer was more like it. <laughs> Take the wind out of that. I'll tell you what. Bludgeoning someone to death is... Uh, which is still a piece of wood. It's a bad like way just, to go. Does the guy think he's Bundy? He's picking up logs outside like fuck. Bundy did? It, it takes something to do that. It, it really does. That's a bad way to go. On August 19th, 24-year-old Keith Harrington and 27-year-old Patrice Harrington were found bludgeoned to death in their home on Cockleshell Drive in Dana Point, Nigel Shores Gated Community. Patrice had also been raped. Although there was evidence that the Harrington's wrists and ankles were bound, no ligatures or murder weapon were found at the scene. The Harringtons had only been married for three months at the time of their deaths. Patrice was a nurse in Irvine, and Keith was a medical student at UC Irvine. Keith's brother Bruce would later go on to spend nearly $2 million supporting California Proposition 69, authorizing DNA collection from all California felons and certain other criminals. On February 6, 28-year-old Manuela Whithoon was raped and murdered in her Irvine home. Although her body had signs of being tied before she was bludgeoned, no ligatures or murder weapon were found. The victim was married and her husband was away hospitalized. She was alone at the time of the attack. Her television was found in the backyard, possibly the killer's attempt to make the crime appear to be a botched robbery. Whatever, pal. Sloppy. We're on to you. On July 27, 35-year-old Sherry Domingo and 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez became the original Night Stalker's 10th and 11th murder victims. Both were attacked in Domingo's rev- residence in Goleta, several blocks south of Robert Offerman's condominium. So again, he's hitting in the same spots. It's real clustered. It seems crazy to me to operate like that. You just get so cocky. I mean, he's been he's mm-hmm. been committing crimes for how many years at this point and has experienced no trouble because of it. Yeah, very cocky at this point. You built up like some invincibility. Yeah. He entered the house through a small bathroom window. Sanchez had not been tied and was shot and wounded in the cheek before he was bludgeoned to death with a garden tool. Mm. Some believe that Sanchez may have realized he was dealing with the man responsible for the Offerman and Manning murders and tried to tackle the killer rather than be tied up. Again, no neighbors responded to the gunshot. Sanchez's head was covered with, with clothes pulled from the closet. Sherry Domingo was raped and bludgeoned. Bruises on her wrists and ankles indicated that she had been tied, although the restraints were missing. 
a piece of shipping twine was found near the bed and fibers from an unknown source were scattered over her body. Authorities believe that the attacker may have worked as a painter or in a similar job at the Calreal Shopping Center. They were on the wrong track. So something's tipping him off to take the bindings with him now. Mm. The original Night Stalker then went on a five-year hiatus. On May 4, 1986, 18-year-old Janelle Cruz was found after she was raped and bludgeoned to death in her Irvine home. She was bludgeoned so badly that dental records had to be used to identify her. Her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack. A pipe wrench reported missing by Cruz's stepfather was thought to be the murder weapon. That's tough. So, yeah, in this one, it just seems like it was just sitting with him for five years. And through this time, with with the Sanchez one, like the, the how they said that he tried to tackle him, it seemed like he was getting too old to deal with these younger couples. Like these younger guys were yeah, able right, to fight him, right. fight back against him more. That makes sense. Same so, thing happened with BTK, right? As he was getting older, wasn't physically yep. able to, to operate the same. So that was probably like, a, like for him, like a wake up call. Like, oh man, I better like stop here. Like they're they're catching up to me. In the Janelle Cruz one, it just seems like five years of this building up, and he just brutally murdered her. I mean, she wasn't even recognizable anymore. That's fucked up. The Southern California murders were not initially thought to be connected by investigators in their respective jurisdictions. A Sacramento detective strongly believed that the East Area Rapist was responsible for the Galetta attacks, but the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department attributed them to a local career criminal who was later murdered. Investigating the crimes not committed in Galetta caused local police to follow false leads related to men who were close to the female victims. One person who was later cleared was charged with two of the murders. Damn. So the cops were all over it, in other words. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Some law enforcement officials, particularly from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department, sought to link the Galetta cases as East Area Rapist and Original Night Stalker being the same person. The links were primarily due to similarities in the M.O., One of the already linked original Night Stalker double murders occurred in Ventura, 40 miles southeast of Galetta, and the remaining murders were committed in Orange County and additional 90 miles southeast. In 2001, several rapes in Contra Costa County, believed to have been committed by the East Area Rapist, were linked by DNA to the Smith, Harrington, Woodhoon, and Cruz murders, which officially established that the East Area Rapist and the original Night Stalker were the same person. Boom. Let's get to work. Let's get this fucker. Mm-hmm. On April 6th, 2001, one day after an article in the Sacramento Bee linked the original Night Stalker and the East Area Rapist, a victim of the rapist received a phone call from him, and he asked, quote, remember when we played? Oof. So this guy just, I mean... He misses the thrill of it, so he gets off on like going back and mm-hmm. calling and torturing oh, and yeah. doing whatever he can. Definitely. Fuck, man. Find a new fetish at this point. On June 15th, 2016, the FBI released further information related to the crimes, including new composite sketches and crime details. A $50,000 reward was also announced. The initiative included a national database to support law enforcement investigating the crimes and handle tips and information. Eventually, 
through the use of genetic genealogy searching on GED match, investigators identified distant relatives from one of the DNA samples collected during the East Area Rapist original Night Stalker crime spree, including family members directly related to his great-great-great-great-grandfather dating back to the 1800s. So this is fucker 2016 so nothing happened for 15 years then just dormant right 15 years just like that's crazy when we think like when we tell these stories i don't think we've ever had such a long pause in 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 something happening right in activity have we between crimes being committed that we knew of connected to a murderer this isn't between crimes being committed i mean it's just but this is 15 years of nothing yeah but even but i'm saying between crimes being committed or just nothing. Yeah. I mean, so the last murder Dennis was... Rader, I, yeah. Dennis Rader. How long was he? Yeah, maybe. I can't remember the time frame exactly on that. Somebody will fucking beat me on trivia on that, so don't worry. We'll learn it in What did you time. say? I said somebody will fucking beat me on trivia on that, so <laughs> we'll learn it in due time. I mean, so the last murder was 86. So we're talking 30 years at this point. So in 15 years later, in 2001, he made a phone call. And he's made lots of phone calls, right? Were there any other during that time frame? Um, I know, like, there was one in 1982 mm-hmm. that was pretty creepy. Uh, I, I don't believe it was recorded. Yeah, but I mean, how I many find a recording of it? But how many other calls did he make that just weren't reported sure. or recorded? You know, people just just think, oh, it's I'm being you know prank yeah. called by yeah. you know mm. a, a fucking young Dave who likes to make prank crank calls. Thirty years. Yeah. The ethics of this were questioned big time. On using these, you know, a genealogy thing like this. I yeah, I bet I, the the one detective that was pushing for this, he had been working on this case since back in the you know thirty years. This guy has been working on this. This is a cold case. In mm-hmm. his opinion, was fuck it. I'm I'm gonna catch this guy if mm-hmm. I can. So how did they make the connection with him? Like, what's the ethical question? I guess like. How are they using any information to go back? I think the ethical question is whether the police should have access to that genealogy database. So like they had his DNA, his right. blood type or whatever from the crime scene. So they submit that to the genealogy site and try and find, find you know, find a match way, way, way back. His great, great, great grandfather. But should they be allowed to access that data? I'm not sure I have a problem with them being allowed to do that. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't think I do either. You know, the ethics, you know, we're talking about the ethics of it and that, you know, the detective saying, fuck it. He, it broke the terms of service of, of the website too. I mean, he was not allowed to do this. The detective was not allowed. Yeah, no, I mean, it broke the terms of service of the website and everything. Mm. But he was like, I, this is the one, one shot at getting this guy. But what does that mean? Okay. So you're banned from the website, like terms of service from the website. What are they going to do? Yeah, I'm just saying that, I mean... It, okay, no, I understand. Well, from a website's perspective, like, you know, they got to cover their own ass. So, yeah, of course you make that, like, an agreement. So then if the cop does, like, you can't sue the website, I would imagine. I mean, you can, but... Based on this information, investigators built about 25 different family trees. The tree that was eventually linked to approximately 1,000 people. Over the course of a few months, investigators used other clues like age, sex, and place of residence to rule out suspects populating these trees. They eliminated suspects one by one until only one person remained, Joseph D'Angelo Jr. The big unveil. God damn. I mean, that just made it easy for him at this point. Well, they also went and they 
they got a, what they get a fingerprint off of a car door that he opened and they went and got a tissue out of his trash and that confirmed which they're like you know yeah this is the guy mm. <laughs> proof positive yeah they followed him around forever oh, waiting yeah. for him to drop something much like uh gacy we talked about a couple weeks ago available in the archives yeah. i mean and it, it's a lot of work I mean, they came up with tons of suspects. When you talk about 25 different family trees, I mean, just think of what that tree looks like when you go back. A thousand people, they said. Yeah, you know, I mean, great, 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 you know, the possibilities. Well, identifying I mean, people in the area. dates, and, you can eliminate more than half of those. Yeah, but it's but just, it's gotta, a wide net. It's yeah. not as easy as it sounds. Well, with that, let's get into who this guy is. He's a small-dicked motherfucker. I think we've established <laughs> that. He's so angry, <laughs> Fucking tiny-ass dangle bitch. Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. was born November 8, 1945, into a decorated military family in Bath, New York. D'Angelo Sr. was a World War II sergeant with several medals to his name. His brother, also a World War II veteran, received the Purple Heart and was laid to rest in Arlington Cemetery. So the the Golden State Killer's uncle is in Arlington Cemetery. Right. Right. Because of D'Angelo Sr.'s career in the Air Force, the family of six moved a lot during the late 1940s and early 1950s. D'Angelo Sr. ran into trouble with the police for physically abusing his wife. Authorities threatened to kick him out of the Air Force if he continued the domestic violence. And other family members have told the media that D'Angelo Jr. and his siblings were subject to physical abuse from their father as well. D'Angelo Jr. experienced another traumatic event while the family was stationed at a German Air Force base. One day, D'Angelo Jr. and his sister Constance went to an abandoned warehouse on the base to play. They were approached by two airmen that they did not know. While D'Angelo watched, the men sexually assaulted his seven-year-old sister. And when they told their parents about the rape, there were no consequences and the children were told to never speak of it again. Well, that'll mess you up, huh? Yeah. We're kind of going reverse order here. So now at the end of the story, we're learning that this mm-hmm. guy uh, pretty consistently, like everyone else, had a fucked up childhood. Sure. Not an excuse, but just a you know statement. While he was in his teens, his parents divorced and both remarried soon after. D'Angelo Jr. moved with his mother and stepfather to rural Auburn, California. And meanwhile, his father moved to Korea, where he started a new family there. He had another set of children and gave them the exact same names as those he had with his ex-wife. That's fucking weird. So he has a Korean half-brother named Golden State Killer? How do you even pronounce that in (laughs) Korean? I believe it's Small Dick Killer. (laughs) That's got to fuck you up as, you know, as a teenager or whatever, you know. That's weird, dude. Okay, my dad just went and literally replaced all of us with the names and everything. So there's uh, someone in Korea somewhere named Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah. I bet he's a swell guy, though, (laughs) compared to this fucko. Mm. Probably got a bigger dick, too. (laughs) (laughs) After graduating from high school in 1964, D'Angelo Jr. served in the Vietnam War with the Navy. He returned home in 1976 at the age of 21. After Vietnam, he enrolled at Sierra College and then Cal State, where he studied criminal justice. At some point during college, he met fellow student Bonnie Jean Caldwell. The two hit it off, and they were engaged in 1972. Their wedding announcement, printed in the Auburn Journal, detailed that Bonnie was a lab assistant and D'Angelo Jr. was affiliated with the Vets Club 
and the president's honor roll. They appeared to everybody else to be this perfect couple, but later Bonnie recalled that D'Angelo Jr. had some really weird behavior during sex. According to her, he wanted to go he wanted it to go on for hours. When interviewed, Bonnie told the police that he never forced her to do anything, but he knew that she didn't enjoy it. He had the tendency to stop as he was about to get off and then return minutes later and continue having sex. She claimed that this would go on several times over the course of a night. Yeah, that sounds like him. He's like giving himself blue balls. Mm. Just trying to hold but on like, a little bit longer. He finished with his like victims, right? Like he yeah, would but he would, remember he would leave the room, keep going back. back. So he'd just do it over and over. But with his wife, like he would like build that orgasm. It's odd. Well, I don't know that anyone ever said he finished with his rape victims. Maybe it's the same scenario. Maybe so. I guess so. That's true. Bonnie broke off the relationship before the wedding, and less than a year later, she married another man. He absolutely hated her. And victims during the East Area rapist attacks report that when he was going through the house, they could hear him like talking to himself, saying, quote, sorry, Bonnie, and he would also say, quote, I hate you, Bonnie, over mm. and over to himself. Mm. And, and what's weird, like he stuck onto, the, onto Bonnie, he married. He got married soon after she did. He met 20-year-old law student Sharon Huddle at Sacramento State, and by November of 1973, they were married. That same year, at 28 years old, he was hired by the Exeter Police Department, a small city about 50 miles southeast of Fresno. And almost as soon as he became a cop, D'Angelo Jr. began to commit crimes. It's believed he started as a voyeur in mid-1973 and then just expanded from there. I guess it's a good cover, being a cop. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. disagree. I also read his wife filed for divorce like shortly after he was arrested. Oh, yeah. They had been separated yeah. for 20 years but never actually got divorced. D'Angelo Jr. was hired during the East Area Rapist Attacks at the Auburn Police Department. After four years on the job, he was fired from the Auburn Police Department on July 2nd, 1979. At the time, he was 33 years old, and he was caught stealing a hammer and dog repellent from a Sacramento drugstore. <laughs> this guy gets away with all dog this, and he sense. can't steal a fucking hammer. Dumbass. <laughs> well, that wasn't a specialty, Dave. I guess. Not a thief. He tried to claim that he didn't intend to steal the items. A court hearing found him guilty of misdemeanor shoplifting and imposed a $100 fine and sentenced him to six months probation. I think it's the first cop in history that ever got convicted of anything. Goddamn hell. <laughs> Coming back to 2018, on April 24th, 2018, Sacramento County Sheriff's deputies arrested D'Angelo Jr., he was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. And that detective that did the whole DNA thing and was part of him being arrested retired three days later. Man, he was just holding out, huh? Yep. Yeah, he got like his a, white whale. Yeah. I get it, though. I got you, motherfucker. Yeah. I also read that they found some uh, victim's jewelry at his house. He was still holding on to it. Really? Yeah. Creepy. On May 10th, 2018, the Santa Barbara County District's Attorney's Office charged D'Angelo Jr. with four additional counts of first-degree murder. He offered up kind of a confession 
after his arrest that cryptically referred to an inner personality named Jerry that had, that had apparently forced him to commit the all the crimes that ended in 1986. Oh, Jerry did that. Yeah. All these guys have that fucking mm-hmm. excuse. Gacy had it. Bundy had it. Oh, spoiler alert. Some of us don't know the Bundy story. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I thought you were like the expert. Hey, on you Bundy. told us you knew everything about it. I wasn't saying me. The listeners. Some of us listening, you know, the listeners, like they don't know the story. <laughs> okay, of course. Jerry. Okay, Jerry. I got three books written about the Bundy. <laughs> they haven't been published yet, but I got three books written. <laughs> Getting proofread, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm taking offers. <laughs> According to Sacramento County prosecutor, D'Angelo Jr. said to himself while alone in a police interrogation room after his arrest in April 2018, quote, I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I've got to pay the price. He said that all to himself he, while in like the, the interrogation room? Yeah, supposedly. Mm, okay. I still think he's full of shit. Oh, of course he is. He knew he was being, you know, watched. Fuck you, Jerry. We're not buying it. (laughs) He could not be charged with the rapes or burglaries as the statute of limitations had expired for those offenses. But he has been charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. D'Angelo Jr. was arraigned in Sacramento on August 23rd, 2018. In November of 2018, prosecutors from six involved counties collectively estimated that the case could cost taxpayers $20 million and last for 10 years. That's crazy. 10 years. How is that even possible? Yeah. That'd be like the longest trial in history, right? Shit. Like, goddamn. I think it's because there's just so many different counties involved because he was all over the place. Yeah. yeah. They would have to try him in each place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. At an April 10th, 2019 court proceeding prosecutors announced that they would seek the death penalty and the judge ruled that cameras could be allowed inside the courtroom during that trial do you think that was all ruled to kind of pressure him just to kind of confess and get this over with the death penalty well the death penalty of course you're going to seek but then like the judge being like oh cameras are allowed like is that kind of just politics being played or games being played just to be like dude let's fucking end this cameras are generally allowed aren't they i don't know I thought they were not. I mean, watch the whole OJ trial live. Well, on I think TV for special day. circumstances they are. So I'm just, I'm just asking, like, where, where games being played here to not to have him be like, oh, I don't want this to be, I don't want to be humiliated yeah. for ten years if this goes to trial. So yeah, I don't, I don't maybe know. on March fourth, two thousand twenty, D'Angelo Jr. offered to plead guilty if the death penalty was taken off the table, which was not accepted at the time. On June 29th, two thousand twenty. D'Angelo Jr. pled guilty to 13 murder charges and 13 kidnapping charges in a deal to avoid the death penalty. I think June 29th, 2020 is the most recent date we have ever said on Necronomapod. Oh, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That wasn't even a month ago. No. God damn. So what, the DA agreed to take the death penalty off the table, I guess, on? Must have changed their mind. Yeah. I heard some stuff saying, um, I read a few things saying like that COVID issues had had some to do with this, mm. that they just wanted to push it along. Um, I don't know. I could see that. I watched the, 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 the trial where he pled guilty. Everyone is all yeah. separated and masked up and 
It's like in a state, not a, not a stadium, uh, back like in, a gym on, somewhere. On auditorium. March fourth, back in March, June, no, last month. On March fourth, oh, he was offered to plead guilty. I'm sorry, I'm misreading my dates here. They had to read through every crime, and he had to accept responsibility. That's the one where he's wearing the, the little gimmick mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and like he pled guilty to the murder that was committed when he was the Visalia, you know, the Visalia ransacking murder that happened with that um, the husband that ran outside to stop his daughter from getting kidnapped. You know, he pled guilty to that, and you know that proved that he was also the Visalia ransacker. Yeah, so he was responsible for all of it. God damn. And his sentencing date is currently set for August 21st, 2020. Mm. Question. Can we send Mike out to attend the, the hearing, the sentencing hearing? Am I not? Sure. Do I, can I not get press credentials at this point? Mm. I don't know. Answer. Yes, you can. <laughs> hey, let's go. Just fly me out there. I'll fucking go. <laughs> this is Mike Buner recording live from the courtroom. We are waiting the verdict and the sentencing. Of the small dick killer. I'm sorry, the Golden State killer. He's entering the courtroom. All rise. Oh shit! I drop. I drop my phone. I drop my. It's like boom, boom, boom. My phone starts going off. Whose phone is that? Order in the court. Get this motherfucker out of here. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Fucking carried out in cuffs. Take my strong hand. This is the first ever to be continued episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, we'll for, an update. for like a non-bonus show or like a news story, this is uh, the first ever to be continued episode. We'll have to co- come back to this. Hmm. Did he ever talk about why he stopped? Did we ever confirm that it's kind of because he's getting a little long in the tooth and maybe a little frail? So, yeah, he was the San, like I was saying, the, the Sanchez one he realized that he couldn't attack those younger you know 20s to 30 people you know 30 year old people at that point and then in between that time because he was married he had two daughters so during that five years it's suspected that he was just doing the family thing and it just kind of pent up with him over Mm. those five years and he found janelle cruz who was 18 years old and she would be an easy victim yeah Maybe his and daughter then he just went and, back to doing the family thing. Maybe like his daughter and BTK's daughter can start a podcast. Uh, I hope not. It'd <laughs> fucking blow us out of the water. God damn. That'd be fantastic. Serial sisters, right? I, hey. Works. It's a good name. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> Go with our fucking numbers. No one's going to listen to us anymore. Fucking three drunk asses talking about whatever. You know what I'll say about this guy? Is even at, at his age, he looks mean. Like some old criminals, you'll look at him, you're like, no, that guy couldn't have ever committed those crimes. You look at this fucking guy, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he did it. Yeah. That small dick. He just energy. looks like it. It radiates. Yeah, he does. He looks like a scumbag. He does. It's kind of ironic, too, for a guy that hated women so much that uh, that he had two daughters. Yeah. Well, well, God was trying to change his black heart, Ian. That's how it works. <laughs> He was sending a miracle to God can only do so much. The Irons can and, only do so much, Dave. Yeah, you know, he you gives want? you the free choice and the free will, and what you do with it is your own volition. <laughs> we got anything else to uh, close out this story? So maybe we should talk about Michelle McNamara a little bit. The HBO series based on her book is out, and Let's she seems to have been responsible for keeping—I don't know—keeping the story 
on the front burner all these years, you know, working on it, following up and putting together profiles and whatnot. Ian, you read the book, didn't you? Yeah, it's one of the best true crime books I've ever read. It's called uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. It's a it's 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 one of those books that I didn't want to put down. Mm. It's really good. Is the book she a biography really of him, or is it just like the steps she took in her investigation? Like, how is it laid out? So it's like the steps she took in. Um, there's one. You know, she interviewed um, one of the detectives that worked the case back in the seventies, and she just really details each of these crimes. Mm. It's a really, really good book. It it's scary, you know, yeah, going into detail because that's the thing with this series because we I wanted it to be three parts, but then going through it, I'm like, man, I don't want to sit here for a whole part two and just talk about nothing but rape after rape after rape. You know, you got 39 rapes in between mm. the you know in, in between 1976 and when he started killing. But the book is it's phenomenal if you really want to get into a yeah. lot of that stuff. I think I'm gonna read that. And she uh, she ended up passing away before they caught him, so she never got to know. Oh damn! And her husband is uh, Pat Oswald, the comic, and he helped finish the book, I believe, and they turned it into the HBO series. I had no fucking clue. Yeah, I knew Pat Oswald's wife died. I had no d- idea she was involved with this. Yeah. What did she die from? It was like an accidental overdose, I believe. Well, it was something like unexpected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had an undiagnosed heart condition, and then it, that attribute that didn't medication mixed with that. Mm, there you go. Wow, I had no fucking clue. See, folks, you learn something new every week on Necronomapod. That's the goal. Anyway, that's what we try to do. Well, fuck this guy. Hope he rots. Yeah, we've had uh, quite a few tough weeks here on this show with the fucking Gacy shit, and then this. I think we're gonna have a couple weeks of some different stuff. And then get back at it with uh, some big topics here in a few weeks for our hundredth episode. Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna give out any big teasers mm. yet. Cards subject to change, but we have had that planned. I think Ian has had our hundredth episode planned since uh, like episode four. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think what is this episode ninety seven? Right? Yeah, something like we that. Got two so. weeks. Yeah, we. I mean, actually, we got some fun episodes coming up the next two weeks. Not fun, but good episodes. And then the hundredth episode, land of the spooky, yeah, yeah. And then we'll get back at it for episode hundred that uh, you know Ian's had planned for a while. So, all right, we got anything else on this motherfucker with this small penis and all? No, we'll get your travel vouchers. Well, you'll be on your way out there to cover it. Hey, let me know. I'll go um, August twenty first, and then uh, we'll follow up with a uh, a postscript on this one. I guess we've never had yeah, to do absolutely. that. Before. We've never had to do that before. I don't think. You know, until they solve John Bonet and we do that bonus show. After right. they hear our series and they fucking they fully admit that it was Santa Bill. <laughs> um, all right. I guess that's on to me, isn't it? Take it away, sir. We got some Patreon shout outs. Jesus Christ, these people with the names this week. I feel like they're just trolling me at this point. Uh, we are on patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Thank you very much to Billy, Jason Wingate, Sean, Mike Wargo, Inger Ocon, Daniel Berry, Sarah Zalinska, Casey Appleby, Will Craig, Aaron Apple, Autumn Ridnor, Janie Chambers, Bubble Shania, Caleb Arendt, Kate Caruthers, Tara Greer, Katie Muller, Lindsay, Margaret Eyebrow Daughter, Gabrielle Farber, Vivian Ruiz 
Quintana, and Brandy Carter. Thank you all very much for your patronage. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod if you are interested. Ian, uh, what do you got for us? For iTunes, I have one for Warner, 08, Ange Thumb, Always Wicked, Shun Sane, Rich012985, Moody Girl, and Cody1217. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. And Cody is from Cleveland, Ohio. So, Hell yeah. Going. Cleveland. Whoop, whoop. 216. In the house. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm really drunk. Did we have a patron named <laughs> Eyebrow Daughter? That's how I read that last name. That's it. You used to do that yeah. a lot in college, right? Dotting those eyebrows. <laughs> Dot some. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, 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 pew. Close your eyes, bitch. Pew, 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 pew. All right, Dave, you got anything else for that? No. No? That's it? That's it. All right. Well, that's the Golden State Killer. I don't think Ian said the word Golden State Killer once throughout this entire series. I was waiting for him to become the Golden State Killer. No. We never once mentioned that he was the Golden well, State Michelle Killer. McNamara, Michelle McNamara gave him that nickname. Yeah. Oh, okay. She renamed him. Gotcha. From Eurons. Eurons. <laughs> Which is the, what, the... Um, Initials of all of his other fucking Easter rapist, original yeah. Night Stalker. They're called acronym. Yeah, there it is. All right. And I mean, I'll be completely honest. I had never even heard of this case until she brought it to the into like the public. I think uh, a lot of people did. Arena. Yeah. Sure. I had no idea what this even was, and I'm like, I started reading about it a little bit, and I picked up her book, and I'm like, how have I never heard of this? But like, this guy is this one of the scariest people. If I think the scariest person I've ever read about with true crime stuff. Mm. So, and here he is, yeah. still alive, waiting sentencing. Yeah, just hit out all those years. Just yeah, it's crazy. Well, hopefully, people enjoyed this and got something out of it. And you know, I know he's been in the press recently, and hope we didn't let people down. And they get, they you know learned a lot about this this fucko, and you know are going to stick around and subscribe and listen to more episodes of us. Fuck them. All right. You guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>